Let's open in the Word of God this morning and read from the book of Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, we have in this chapter a description of the threefold office of a priest. First, to sacrifice. Second, to make intercession. And then third, to bless. Leviticus chapter 9. And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the children of Israel and said unto Aaron, Take thee a young calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering also a bullock and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a meat offering mingled with oil, for today the Lord will appear unto you. And they brought that which Moses commanded before the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded that ye should do, and the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar, and offer thy sin offering and thy burnt offering, and make an atonement for thyself and for the people, and offer the offering of the people, and make an atonement for them, as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went unto the tabernacle, and slew the calf of the sin offering which was for himself, and the sons of Aaron brought the blood unto him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the call above the liver of the sin offering he burnt upon the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. And the flesh and the hide he burnt with fire without the camp. And he slew the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood which he sprinkled round about upon the altar. And they presented the burnt offering unto him with the pieces thereof and the head, and he burnt them upon the altar. And he, and he did wash the inwards and the legs and burnt them upon the burnt offering on the altar. And he brought the people's offering and took the goat which was the sin offering for the people and slew it and offered it for the sin for sin as the first. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the manner. And he brought the meat offering and took a handful thereof and burnt it upon the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. He slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood, which he sprinkled upon the altar round about, and the fat of the bullock and of the ram, the rump, and that which covered the inwards, and the kidneys, and the call above the liver. And they put the fat upon the breasts, and he burnt the fat upon the altar. And the breasts and the right shoulder Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them, and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And they came out 
a fire from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then we want to turn to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. And we'll read just from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Numbers chapter 6, 22 through 27. And these are also the words of the text for the sermon this morning. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. And the connection to Leviticus 9 is that when Aaron came out of the tabernacle, he lifted his hand and he blessed the people. Number 6, verse 22, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, and we read this in the baptism form this morning, Jesus received the children that believing parents brought to him. He laid his hands upon them, and he blessed them. And the parallels to the passage that we consider this morning are unmistakable. Here in number six, we have the words of blessing that the high priest would speak over the children of Israel after the sacrifice for sin was made in the tabernacle. And Jesus is both the sacrifice for sin and the high priest who blesses in baptism. He speaks his blessing on the children of believers who are brought to him. Now, that's not a blessing for every last child, but rather it's the covenant blessing that God puts on elect believers and their spiritual children. And just as God promised to Israel that his blessing would remain with them in their generation, so that blessing is spoken today to you, Jason, to your family, as you endeavor to raise this child in the fear of the Lord. And this is a blessing that we certainly need. Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And there's much labor and work in building a Christian home, much dedication that's needed. But To do that work, we need God's grace, and on that work, we need God's blessing. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And today, God's word to you, Jason, is that God will bless you, keep you in your home. And let's keep that that covenantal perspective in mind this morning as we look at these verses. But I want us also to think about these verses in the way that we are most familiar with them. We use the words of these verses, especially 24 through 26, as a benediction. And you hear this almost every Sunday at the end of one of the worship services. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee 
and give thee peace. And that's an important part of our worship, just as in the Old Testament, it was an important part of the daily sin offerings when the priest would come from the tabernacle and pronounce this blessing. This blessing is known as the Aaronic blessing, the blessing that Aaron, the high priest, would speak. It was a blessing, and you see that here in verse 23 and 24, that God gave to Aaron and his sons, that God commanded Aaron and his sons, the high priest, to speak. And we want to, this morning, consider these verses in their context from three points of view. The context always gives meaning and enriches that which we look at in Scripture, not just the immediate context, but even the context of all of Scripture, so that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so the three contexts that we want to look at this morning are the historical, the literary, and then the priestly contexts. Let's consider these words under the theme, Jehovah, bless thee and keep thee. First, look at the nature of benediction, and that's the historical context. Then second, the the blessings or the content of this benediction, that's the literary context, the words as they're written here in the verse. And then third, the foundation of this blessing, and that's the priestly context. God gave these words to the high priests to speak. We use the word benediction. What is a benediction? Well, literally it just means this, a word that is good, bena, good, diction, a saying, a good saying. But we understand, of course, that this good word or this good saying is from the mouth of God. So it's a word that is good from the mouth of God. So I want to define a benediction biblically and then look at the different elements of it here as we try to understand the nature of benediction. So here's the definition of a benediction. A benediction is the declaration of God's grace and blessing upon elect, unworthy sinners living in a difficult and sinful world. It's the declaration of God's grace and blessing upon elect, unworthy sinners who live in a difficult world. And the first element of that is that a benediction is a declaration. It's not a wish, and it's not a prayer, but a pronouncement. And you see that here in verses 22 and 23, when God commands through Moses that these be the words that the high priests speak after the offerings for sin. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise, or in this manner, with these words, ye shall bless the children of Israel, and say unto them, So God gives these specific words for the high priest to use in connection with what we read in Leviticus 9 after the offerings, the sin offerings, had been made. It's important for us to understand the role of the high priest because it helps us not only with understanding it in the Old Testament context, but 
also with regard to Jesus Christ. The high priest operated as a mediator, as a go-between. In much of his work, the high priest represented the people as he came before God. So the high priest would wear an ephod that had the names of the different tribes in, in, in it and stones inside little pockets on that, on that ephod, that linen ephod. So he brought the people before God in his work. He did that in the sacrifices, as he made sacrifice for the people. He did that in the, in the great day of atonement, when he went with the coals from the altar into the inner part of the sanctuary and offered incense before, the, before God, a, a picture and a type of prayer being made for the people before God. He also did this in, in worship, in leading the people in songs and with instruments as they came in and sang before the Lord. So the, the high priest was mediatorial, representing the people to God. But he was also mediatorial from the other perspective, that he represented God to the people. A mediator is a go-between, and he represented God to the people. There are two specific ways that the priests did this. One was that in their daily work, they also would teach the people. This is an important part of the, the work of the high priests, or, or not just the high priests, but all the priests that we sometimes overlook as we read through the Old Testament Scriptures. Not only were the prophets sent by God to teach and instruct and bring the Word of God to the people, the prophets would do that, and specifically the prophets would bring new revelations from God to the people. But the priests were called to give instruction to the people from the law of God. That is, from the first five books, the books of Moses. And often the priests neglected to do this, and it was when the priests neglected to do this that the people were destroyed for their lack of knowledge. There's an interesting passage in 2, Corinthians, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 when Jehoshaphat is king. Jehoshaphat brings reform in the nation of Israel by bringing them back to the Word of God. And one of the key ways that, Elok, that Jehoshaphat does that is by sending the priests out into the different cities to teach the law of God. You know that the priests never had an inheritance. The priests did live in some cities scattered around Jerusalem area, but the priests were called to live in all the different cities in the land. And that was so that they could be busy with this work of teaching. So Second Chronicles 7, verse 7, it says this, that in the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his princes out into the land, and then it lists all the different places that he sent them. And then verse 8 says, And with them he sent Levites, and then it lists the name of those Levites. And verse 9, They taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people so that they represented the Word of God. They were mediators in this way, that they brought the Word of God. They spoke with the authority of God to the people, and taught them and instructed them. That was an important part of the, the work of the priests. And another part of their work was to bless the people. We see that in the chapters that we read, Leviticus chapter 9, in the chapter that we consider this morning, Numbers chapter 6 as well. But then there's this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 21, which puts this task very clearly 
as a part of the work of the priests. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 5, And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him and to bless in the name of the Lord. So God has appointed them specifically to bless in the name of the Lord, or as God's official representatives before the nation. So they filled this mediatorial role, bringing the people before God, but also speaking on God's behalf, both in instruction and with the declaration of the blessing of God on His people. I said that this blessing or this benediction is more, much more, than just a wish or a prayer. In the benediction, God gives something to His people. That's clear from some of the other examples in the Old Testament Scripture of blessings being given by those who had the authority to give them, especially the the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were also prophets. And so you have the example of Isaac blessing unwittingly Jacob in the place of Esau. And then when Esau complains, Esau says to his father Isaac, isn't there yet a blessing for me? And These are the words of Isaac. I have blessed Jacob. Yea, he shall be blessed. That is, there's authority in the words of blessing that I've spoken, and those have been spoken on to Jacob. And you see something similar when Joseph brings his two sons before his blind father Jacob to bless them, and Jacob, directed by the Holy Spirit, crosses his hands so that his right hand rests on the younger of those two sons, because God intended the greater blessing for him. And so you have at the end of the book of Genesis the blessings that Jacob, the patriarch, speaks over the twelve tribes, his sons, and then something similar in the book of Deuteronomy when Moses blesses the tribes of Israel before he goes. So what are these blessings? They are prophetic words that come from God, declarations, pronouncements, of what God will, in fact, give, and does, in fact, give to His people. So I say, a benediction is the declaration of God's grace and blessing upon the elect. The grace and the blessing are the saving grace of God. Grace is God's saving work. And you see that here in this passage in that God speaks this blessing particularly on Israel. He reserves this blessing for Israel. You see that both in verse 23, thou shalt speak to the children of Israel, and verse 27, that the priest will put my name upon the children of Israel. Israel in the Old Testament were God's chosen people. This is a blessing that comes particularly on the elect, the chosen of God. And that election by which they receive this blessing is sovereign and free. That is, they don't make themselves worthy of it. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God speaks through Moses to Israel these words, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 6 through 8, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. God has set Israel apart. He sanctified them, separated them. 
The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And then these words, The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all the people, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he swear unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose Israel? The reasons are found in God himself. Because he chose you, because he loved you, and because he would be faithful to his word of promise to your fathers. And that explains the pronouns that are used in the blessing that we consider this morning. You'll notice that the word that's used there is the word thee, in distinction from you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. That's the singular. And that singular is used, or can be used in two different ways. To refer to Israel as a nation, and certainly it could be referring to that, to the organic aspect of the nation of Israel as a whole. God's blessing is on this people. He will keep, He will preserve this people. And that, of course, because He's promised to bring Christ from their loins. But every one of God's true elect who stood and heard the word of blessing from the priest received this as spoken to them personally. And that's election. Election is not just a an election of a, a, a precise number, but God in election also chooses individuals. And that's the way Jesus speaks of it. He speaks of sheep, individuals. And he says of these sheep, individuals, they hear my voice. So that when the elect hear this blessing spoken from the mouth of the mediator, they say, that's God's word to me. My sheep hear my voice. But now as we talk about particular grace, it's important for us to understand the appropriate, I'll say, response to it. And it's not this, I'm special. I've made myself to differ, but rather amazing that God in grace would look on me, that I would be the object of his grace. Because just as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 concerning the nation of Israel, they did not distinguish themselves. They were not superior. So it's true for everyone who hears and receives this blessing from the Lord. Amazing grace that God would bestow his blessing, and his love on me. And the sacrament of baptism reminds us of that too in in two important ways. First of all, it reminds us of the need that we have of being washed of sin. That's the very first thing that the form puts before us. What does baptism teach us? First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin. And apart from grace, we're subject to the wrath of God. And we would continue in sin. So first, baptism teaches us that we need to be washed. But then second, in the administration of baptism to the infants of believers, 
We're taught that that grace is unconditional. It's not something that we choose to receive, but we receive it passively as a child who is brought for baptism. God's grace declared upon the elect unworthy sinners who live in a difficult world. And that's a beautiful thing for us to think about. We talked about Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house. There's much labor and toil in the work of being a parent, in the work of building, as it were, a Christian home. But in life, along with that, there's labor and toil. Just think of all the difficulties that Israel had gone through as God came and spoke this message to them. 400 years of bondage in Egypt as slaves, coming to the Red Sea with Egypt behind them, the Egyptians behind them, coming to Sinai. 2.2 to 3 million people wandering in the wilderness, before them a dangerous journey, hated and resisted by not only the Egyptians, but the Canaanites. There was warfare in front of them, many temptations and trials. And as they set out on this journey, as it were, God says, I'll bless you, I'll keep you on your way. Psalm 121 puts that very beautifully. The Lord will preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth forevermore. And in the Sultan number, that's applied particularly to the home, in the home. And by the way, he will keep thee day by day. That's God's word of blessing on the home of believers in a difficult world. And that that's the nature of blessing is very clear from verse 27, they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. God, in blessing, puts his name on the children of Israel. Doesn't that remind us of what takes place in baptism? There's a transaction, as it were, a divine act of adoption that's signified in baptism, that God, by his authority here on Israel, but the New Testament says, we are the Israel of God, God puts his name on his people. And so in baptism, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, through the washing of water, represents the blood of Jesus Christ. He puts a mark and a promise in baptism upon us so that we are incorporated into Christ, washed and forgiven, made new and clean. Now, we realize that that, of course, is only symbolized in baptism, not true for everyone who receives it. But yet that's the teaching, the blessing that comes to us in baptism. And now we use this benediction in much the same way in our worship as it was used in the Old Testament. The minister, as it were, stands in the place of God as he declares 
the words of blessing at the end of worship upon the people of God. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And if we look at the New Testament, there are many such benedictions, blessings, especially in the epistles of Paul. We use one from 2 Corinthians 13, often too, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And when this blessing is given in the worship of the church, that's God declaring His grace and blessing upon His elect, upon believers as they go out into a difficult world, God will bless you and keep you and be with you. And we recognize the authority of that, that that's a declaration from God Himself in this way, in a very practical way, that when a man who's not ordained to the ministry brings a word to us, a student from the seminary, instead of raising his hands in blessing, he does fold his hands, and we pray these words. So God's blessing is spoken to his people through those whom he's appointed in that role. What is the blessing. And that's the second point. Here we want to look at the words of the text here, especially 24 through 27, uh, 24 through 26, the, the, the three verses that contain the blessing. And we want to think about them in their literary context. We talked about the blessing in its historical context, the priest, the sacrifice, Israel in the wilderness. But now let's look more closely at the words here. And the first thing that we notice is the beautiful poetry here. Look at verses 24 through 27. You see that it's poetry in the use of repetition. Each of the verses begins in the same way. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. That's the name Jehovah, the covenant name of God. The covenant God blesses you. The covenant God will make His face to shine upon you. The covenant God will lift up His countenance upon you. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And then in each of these verses, there are two other things for us to see. First is a repetition of ideas within each verse. Parallelism. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. And the same is true in the next two verses. Make His face shine upon thee. Be gracious unto thee. And those parallel ideas help to explain each other, but they also build on each other as these verses are repeated, or these blessings are repeated three times. Why poetry? It's a very interesting place to find poetry as well, because as we're reading through the book of Numbers, we're reading narrative, we're reading history, and then in the middle of it, these words of, of blessing stand out because of their beauty as poetry. They're memorable. And that's the purpose. God gives us poetry so that He may impress upon our minds the words that are spoken. When we think of poetry, we usually think of something that has rhyme and balance. But the idea of poetry in the Hebrew mind was especially a balance of ideas. And that's the symmetry that we see and the repetition that we see in these beautiful words. So these words that were spoken by the priests lived in the minds of the people. 
And we can certainly see that as we look at the book of Psalms. The psalmist wrote words that reflect these, these, this benediction over and over. In Psalm 4, verse 6, Who will show us any good? Any good? Then this, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. In Psalm 29, verse 11, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 31, verse 16, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and save me for thy mercy's sake. Psalm 67, verse 1, God be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Psalm 80, there's this repeated refrain, we sang it in Psalter 221, turn again, O Lord, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. So these words that were repeated in the worship became a living memory in the minds of the people of God. And that was their purpose in in the poetry here. There's this repetition of ideas, an exquisite beauty to what's put here, something that a human poet would not come up with. But God himself spoke to Moses and said, these are the words that Aaron and his sons shall use to bless my people. Now, as we look at the words more closely, there are three verses here, and each of the verses contains a different idea, a different idea with regard to God's blessing. And then there's this, what we can call, stair-like parallelism, so that the ideas build upon each other. So within each verse is a parallelism, which captures one idea, and then there's a building of ideas upon each other. Verse 24, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. And this is, we could say, the idea of preservation. And we could say this, it's providential preservation. It's God's preservation in the different aspects of our life as we live as pilgrims and strangers in this world. The word bless has the idea of God bending the knee or stooping down. And so we have a God in Scripture who in His condescension is acquainted with all our ways, Psalm 139. A God who knows the way of the righteous, Psalm 1 verse 6. A God of whom we read in, in, of whom we sang in Psalm 113, He condescends to see and know. That's the idea of blessing here. God is acquainted with our life. And He says in, in His being acquainted with our lives, I will keep you. I will preserve you. He'll bless and keep. He'll preserve us in all the ways that we take in this life. And that's a beautiful and a, and a wonderful promise to us as we think about our pilgrimage, the journey that we live, the troubles that we'll face, the questions, the wisdom that we need, the temptations, the trials. Bless you and keep you, so that, as we have it in the New Testament, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not War, not famine, not life, not death, not tribulation, not persecution. There's a steadfastness in His care as we live our lives in this world. He'll keep us. Then in verse 25, you again have two ideas. Make His face to shine upon you and be gracious. 
unto you. And here the idea is the grace of reconciliation. We could say the first one is the grace of providence. Now we have the grace of reconciliation and salvation. Make his face to shine upon thee has the idea of smiling. God smiling upon you. God looking with a benevolent face towards you. That's what we, we pray in, in, in Psalm 81, when we, when we, Psalm 80, when we pray, Lord, lift up thy countenance upon us. We pray for God, as it were, to turn his, his angry face, his wrath, away from us. You understand the difference. You understand that, boys and girls, the face of your father's anger. You want that replaced with the face of your father's smile. And that's the idea here, that God causes his face to shine upon us, and in that is gracious to us. We don't deserve it. Grace is always unmerited. And this is the face of God towards his people. It's the longing of every believer to see the face of God. You, you remember the longing that Moses expressed in the Old Testament. He wanted to see God. And God said, but you really can't see me, Moses. If you do, you won't live. And so God allowed Moses to see just a little bit of who he was. And this is what Moses saw in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty. What did Moses see? When the Lord lifted his countenance upon him, he saw the grace, the undeserved grace of God. Revelation 22 verse 4 says, They shall see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. When we see Jesus, the Bible tells us we'll be like him. The grace of God will transform us. So here we have the idea of, of God's turning away of his wrath. And certainly that fits with the, the context of the blessing that's given immediately following the, the peace offerings and the sin offerings. The priest would declare the grace of God towards his people. The Lord bless thee, keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. First, God's providential care. Second, God's gracious saving care. And then third, lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And here, the idea is of the constancy of God's grace. The second had the idea of the change. Now the constancy, the faithfulness of Jehovah God in his blessing. It's similar to verse 25, but the idea is of continuity. The blessing of God coming on us in all 
of our living. The blessings of salvation always being upon us. Lift up the light of His countenance upon thee. It has the idea of the, the sun rising in the morning. And with each new day, God's blessing continuing. God never ceasing in His faithfulness towards His people. And so again, Psalm 121, not only the Lord will preserve thy going out and thy coming in, but he that keepeth Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He continues in his faithfulness to his people. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And the word peace here has a specific idea. It's not just the idea of reconciliation between two parties, but the idea of wholeness or completeness, total well-being, all of life being lived under the blessing of God. So in Proverbs 3, verse 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's verse 5. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. In all of your life, God will direct your paths. And the end of that chapter, the blessing of the the Lord is on the habitation of the righteous. It speaks of the delight of God in His people as the covenant God. Not only do we in covenant delight in Him, but He delights in His people. There's a beautiful expression of that in the book of Zephaniah. In chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee in singing. Isn't that a beautiful expression of the, the covenant love, communion? And it's not only our communion. It's not first our communion with God, but first that he rejoices in his own. And that's what's expressed here in the idea of peace. He lifts up his countenance and he gives peace. Now one thing that you'll notice here about this repetition is that it's a threefold repetition, and that's very unusual in the Old Testament Scriptures. The repetition, the parallelism in Hebrew poetry is usually two, two ideas, either in contrast to each other or complementing one another or building on one another. But here we have three in connection with the blessing that comes from the Lord, Jehovah. The other place that we find this very Clearly in the Old Testament Scriptures is Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the New Testament, when we come to benediction, we find that the benediction, as well as the formula for baptism, have this threefold aspect. And the threefold aspect in the New Testament is Trinitarian. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize immediately that there's a, there's a triune blessing in the benediction. The same with the formula for baptism, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And so here we have this threefold repetition and blessing. The Lord bless thee 
and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And what that points to is the foundation of this blessing and this benediction. And now we should see this in the, in the context of this being a high priestly blessing. In the priestly context. The source of this blessing is Jehovah. That's his personal covenant name. Jehovah, the Lord bless you and keep you. And it has in mind not only the immutability of God, that he remains faithful to his promise, and the specific particular love of God, which is for his people, for Israel, for the elect, but it has in view also the divinity of Jesus Christ, who is the high priest who declares these words. And I see that in in two ways in the Scripture. First of all, in the Old Testament, you would again and again have the appearance of the angel of Jehovah, the messenger, the special, specific messenger of Jehovah. And whenever he came and appeared to someone, whoever he appeared to knew that in seeing this messenger of God, they had seen God himself. And they said something like this, I'm worthy to die. Or they fell down and they worshipped. There's a recognition in Jehovah of the divinity of the messenger that would come. And Jesus acknowledged that himself when in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he said in John 8 verse 58 to the Pharisees, Before Abraham was, I am Jehovah. That's my name, the eternal, self-sufficient God. And so the foundation of this blessing is in the divinity of the high priest, Jesus Christ, who comes and speaks this word. Because Jesus Christ is, as I said earlier, the sacrifice And Jesus Christ is the high priest. And Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills everything that the high priest had to do. And you think of the three aspects of the high priest's work, the sacrifice, the intercession, and the blessing. And now from his ascended place in, we could say, the the inner sanctuary, not made with hands, in heaven, He blesses his people. He, as it were, raises his hands and blesses his people. That was actually what he did as he ascended into heaven and blessed his disciples. And as the ascended Christ, he receives every blessing and pours that out by the Holy Spirit in the church. And now in the context of the high priest's work, the foundation of it was the sacrifice. But not now a sacrifice of an animal but that Christ himself went to the cross for his own and laid down his life for his sheep. And at the cross, paid in full the debt of their sin, so that when he declared the blessing from God, in the words of Isaac, they shall be blessed indeed. And that's what the New Testament tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, 
Beautiful words. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again in verse 4, Having predestinated us in the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Again in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And you see, the blessings there, the blessing being the children of God and heirs. Of heaven. So in chapter two, the apostle in chapter two of Ephesians, the apostle goes on to say that we sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so on account of what he's accomplished on the cross, symbolized in baptism, Christ declares his blessing to the believing heart of every one of his own and on the homes of believers. That's the foundation declared in the gospel to you today. Amen. Father, we thank thee for the work of our Savior. We thank thee for the pictures of his work in the Old Testament. We're grateful for the words of blessing expressed here, which still are important words for us today. And we pray, Lord, that this blessing may continue upon us and with our children after us in our generations. Hear us in mercy, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.